Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome John Belazir to the show. John Belazir is the CEO of Saluna Computing, the world's first utility-scale company developing power plants and combining them with high-performance computing facilities. As a serial entrepreneur, John has successfully founded and scaled multiple industry-leading technology startups that have achieved market leadership and double-digit growth. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Raj. Uh, Happy to be here. So thankful that uh, you're giving me this opportunity to, to chat with you today. Well, John, I am very excited to have you here. Before we dig into Saluna Computing, I want to ask you about being an eternal optimist. How does one become an eternal optimist? Ah, I think I, first of all, I would self-describe myself as an eternal optimist. I always look at the bright side, um, even in uh, you know, challenging times, times of pain. And uh, one thing I've learned uh, over, I'd say, the last 20 years or so is that the way to think about it is when things are really tough, um, that's where your happiness is going to come from because that's where the learning happens. That's where you sort of realize what your, what your bare metal is, if you will, um, where your ingenuity lies. You build new relationships in the process. And so um, what you typically will find in hindsight is that that really challenging experience was the thing that sort of drove you to the next level of growth personally and professionally. And uh, that's the philosophy that I use pretty much every day. Uh, being an operator you and, and a dad and a, and, a, and a human these days, we are inundated with all sorts of challenging things. And those challenges are the very catalyzer, if you will, to our happiness. Because otherwise, it would be boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have this concept, easy is boring. It is, you know, most people want to, um, you know, uh, see some challenges and sort of get through them. And, and, and by getting through them, you, 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 you get this huge surge of energy and joy that comes from it. And, and so as long as you can believe that you're going to get through the pain and you're going to learn a lot, you can be an optimist all the time. So two points regarding that. First of all, I've been writing a personal blog since 2016, and my blog post for this past Monday, which was uh, the 10th, I believe, of January, Mm -hmm. was titled Failures, Learning from Failures or Success. And essentially, the point of it was, and you said it perfectly, is that while you can learn from success, you learn so much more from failures. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a similar one. I wrote it uh, about four years ago, Raj. It's called Pain is where the learning happens. I also write a blog uh, as well. I, that's where I sort of keep all of my learnings um, as a CEO. And uh, ho- hopefully I can share it with other young entrepreneurs who can 
reduce the amount of learning that they have to do as, as they're building their companies. And that's one that I, I, I reread myself just to remind myself very often. So thanks well, for sharing that. Now, of course, and I appreciate you sharing that. Another term I've heard you use in the past, I know you mentioned in an interview, you're an eternal optimist, mm-hmm. but the idea of beautiful chaos, can you expand on that? <laughs> so um, I guess the, uh, uh, the reason I use that term is because I seem to be attracted to very running very complex businesses. Uh, the business I'm running right now, you need to understand energy markets, um, uh, data center technology, uh, project finance. In all of that complexity, if you will, is uh, opportunities for innovation. Uh, I have found that, you know, in my prior life, I was in, 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 in the insurance space and there was just a lot of new learning and complexity with that industry that we had to get our arms around. And uh, in all of that chaos, if you will, which is, you know, little snippets of challenging you know, things and learning items, if you really take a step back, all those little tiny dots, if you will, sort of form a, a, a perfect Cezanne, uh, uh, you know, painting <laughs> that uh, shows you the big picture. And the big picture is basically opportunities for innovation, white spaces, things that can drive all the value in the business that you're creating. And once you begin to embrace that, uh, you find a, you find true opportunities for differentiation in the market. You know, a lot of times my team and I will sit and we'll say, why is this so hard? You know, <laughs> and, and we say, and I say, actually, the fact that it is hard is our opportunity. Um, if we can crack the code, then we're creating value. And that's how you create value, actually, is solving hard, hard problems in a consistent way over a long period of time. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned data centers, renewable energy, project finance. I mentioned Saluna Computing at the top of the show. Can you give an overview of Saluna Computing and your role at the organization? Sure. Uh, I am the CEO of Saluna Computing, and uh, we are focused on increasing the penetration of renewable energy in the world by using computing as a catalyst. Uh, By now, everyone knows that uh, we're all sort of, you know, I'd say, checked in. We're all sort of geared forward to try to do the best we can to fight the climate change challenge. Um, ESG is a big focus. Just about every you know, public uh, company now is talking about the importance of focusing on sustainability. And we've seen lots of new investment coming into the space. I think last year, there was over $750 billion spent on uh, clean, clean tech and clean energy and sustainability-focused initiatives. And so um, we're all absolutely in sitting in the back of a Tesla car, self-driving itself into the future, right, at high speeds. What most people don't know is that with all of this momentum, there are challenges or new problems that, have, that, that exist within the renewable energy space. Most people don't know that uh, renewable energy uh, power plants are companies, they're project companies, they uh, take in lots of capital to build the power plant, and the goal is to get all of the power from the power plant to the grid. Uh, But because the grid was designed for power plants that were uh, dispatchable, the grid could control them, there was a a beautiful synchronization between the use of power and the generation of power. Once you start to replace these legacy fuel-based power plants and uh, replace them with beautiful, sustainable um, power plants, 
then the schedule for turning those power plants on is no longer controlled by the grid operator. It's actually now controlled by Mother Nature. And as a result, sometimes you have more power than you need. Sometimes you have less power uh, than you need or, or not enough power. And so uh, the problem that results from that is up to a third of the power generated by these new, exciting, gleaming, beautiful, you know, wind turbines and solar plants and, you know, uh, hydro plants all around the world, up to a third of their power never actually makes it to the grid. It's completely spilled. And so what we do is we bring uh, these scalable, uh, purpose-built data centers that sit behind the meter, so right with that power plant, that absorbs that excess energy, and we convert it to a globally transportable form, and that's clean, low-cost computing. We use that computing for compute-intensive applications like cryptocurrencies, AI, and machine learning. And these groups of applications, what we like to call batchable applications, things you can pause, right, if the power is, isn't available to, to serve them, this is probably one of the fastest-growing portions of computing in the world. And most of us take it for granted, but just about every application that you're running or system or you know, we're scrolling through our phones are powered by applications that have these data-centric or compute-centric elements to them. So what we're doing is we're bringing those two worlds together. We're, we're bringing computing that is growing really fast, can be done anywhere in the world, is part of the fastest growing phase of the, of the, of the, the, you know, the, the computing space. And we're using it to solve a problem in the renewable energy space, which is a deterrent to renewable energy becoming the dominant form of power in the world. So I'd like to double click on two terms you used. One is batchable, second is scalable. Can you give an example of batchable compute? Yes. So an example of batchable compute is uh, today when you watch Netflix, you're watching the movie and it streams over whatever electronic device you're using to watch the film. That's called real-time computing because the movie can't be jittery. It has to be smooth and you, experiences, you experience it as you interact with it. When you go online and, and, and do a transaction, that's a real-time uh, application. And lots of companies are, are, are posting their financial systems that generate every month. That's real-time. So it has to run and run to completion for it to do its task. There are other types of applications that are more batchable or, or, or um, non-real-time. And those are ones that sort of wake up and start performing their, their, their processes, and then they go to sleep when they're done. By way of example, uh, the system that shows you the recommendation for Netflix, it's uh, saying, hey, Raj, you just watched, uh, I don't know what you're watching, these games, squid, you know, these, these days, Squid Game or something. <laughs> and it says, haha, you just watched that. You might be interested in these other movies. Well, to show you those movies, they processed all the movies you've ever watched. And then they looked at all of the movies that people who are have similar backgrounds as you or have watched similar to you have done. And then they give it to this model modeling system in an AI system that basically runs some analysis and says, I think Raj might like these next four movies. That system right there, it could run today, it could run tomorrow, but at some point it has to run so that the movies that it's showing you are ever more relevant to you. That's an example of a batch process. It doesn't have to run in real time while you're watching the movie. It could run in the background. And Netflix has entire systems, mostly running on Amazon, as I understand it, 
that are focused on running those models. And by the way, just about every streaming service has that. And I ride a Peloton every morning. That's like my my sort of uh, you know morning ritual, if you will. I know that thing is collecting information about me, my heart rate, my speed, you know, what trainers I like to 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 engage with. And then the next time it's going to show me similar classes uh, to help me uh, get a better experience. Those are batchable processes. Um, one that people don't realize is the global Bitcoin network, which is um, you know approaching hundreds of millions of dollars in value these days and and uh, touching hundreds of millions of people around the world, that is secured by a process that's similar to what I just described. Highly, highly compute intensive applications that are you know dealing with lots of information and calculations. Um, if you're one of those participants, you could you could be doing that work right now take a pause, come back up tomorrow and do it and participate in a very large network that's doing it. So that's batchable. The fact that it can be um, put to sleep, moved, um, it's a job that doesn't have to run in a fixed, you know, uh, real-time basis, if you will. And why is it important that your system be scalable? Uh, scalability is important because um, the amount of renewable energy that we're absorbing that's spilled is big. Uh, we estimate that about 225 terawatt hours of this energy is spilled uh, every every year. That's that's bigger than you know all of the um, you know solar uh, installs in certain parts of the world. It's uh, probably equi- equivalent to like um, I think the number I use is uh, uh, 80 million barrels of oil or something like that. Um, I may have that I may have that wrong, but it's it's a very big number. Uh, and if you look at it from a revenue perspective, about $7 billion of renewable energy revenue that powers the industry to get more power plants online is uh, burned you know, or lost from this issue. And so when we go to a power plant and they say, hey, John, we're losing you know, 1% to 2% or 3% or we've had one, you know, some power plants that have seen 3 to 400% increase in the amount of energy that they have to spill, also known as curtailment. Um, we need to be able to put a data center that's big enough to absorb enough of the spilled power to bring them back to a, you know, in, in the green, if you will, right, where the power plant is not suffering significantly financially to do that. And so what we do is we, we place these, uh, as I said earlier, purpose-built data centers that are modular in nature. They each consume about 1.2 megawatts of energy. Uh, per building. And then we combine those buildings, almost like Lego blocks, actually, using this sophisticated um, uh, electricity design and uh, thermal design where we move air very quickly. We have a, a monitoring system and so forth. And through that platform, we're able to combine these buildings, right? So 44 buildings get you around 50 megawatts, 88 buildings get you about 100 megawatts. That's the idea is we can quickly build them out and scale them into large footprints, allowing us to absorb a lot of that green energy and turn it into powerful um, global computing. I know computing generates a lot of heat. Are you doing anything to capture the heat? Good question. We don't recycle the heat generation at this point. We basically, um, we, we, we have this, this uh, approach that we use that essentially concentrates it into sort of uh, one centralized place in between the buildings and then pushes it up into the into the atmosphere, if you will. Um, we do have uh, some designs that we're, we're, we're giving some thought to about how to recycle that heat, if you will, 
and 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 also use it as part of the part of the whole design, right? So it's very self-contained. We haven't gotten that there yet. We we take a very stepwise approach to our whole technological um, approach. And uh, over time, that's something that we've looked at. We've actually seen other companies that do that. They recycle um, heat waste from buildings and then flow it into into the data center itself to drive to, to drive the energy of the building. Um, so there are some things that we we've considered. We won't do it until we know we can do it at scale and it actually gives the facility an advantage in either you know absorbing more of the power or enhancing our computing, that sort of thing. Understandable. Now, you mentioned we talked about data center, renewable energy. The third leg of the stool is the project finance piece. Yes. Um, this is a, I'm going to say, relatively new idea that you're working on. How or what challenges have you faced in getting these projects financed? Very good question. So um, by way of background, Saluna Computing actually started out as a company called Saluna Technologies, which was actually an energy development company. We, uh, about four years ago, uh, our parent uh, private equity firm, if you will, uh, that held the company, asked me to come on board to run this new company that was the intersection of renewable energy and blockchain. When that sentence came out, it came out from a person <laughs> I knew, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, for a very long time. Uh, my background is in software, so I'm a software guy. I've built primarily uh, software enterprise companies, and so it's this is a whole new learning experience for me. As I said, that, that that seems to be what attracts me these days. And so I was intrigued by this concept of bringing those two worlds together. But obviously, I was skeptical. Number one, what do I know about renewable energy? And number two, blockchain is such a young, you know, realm um, that it was there was likely nothing really there for me. But I did dig in, and uh, four years later, I'm still digging in. <laughs> I haven't found a reason not to do it. In fact, I've doubled down. And the problem I was asked asked to solve was we have this renewable energy project in the southern part of Morocco. If you go to the airport there, uh, you only see two types of people there. You see renewable energy people. And then you see some of the, the, the best kite surfers in the world. <laughs> and the reason is because the wind is so amazing there. The Harmattan wind is, um, in, in New York, you're talking about eight meters per second uh, wind. And in, in over there, it's well over uh, mid-20s, if you will, in that area. So that's a lot of wind, a lot of fast wind, lots of energy production potential. And the country wanted to transition from being a you know, primarily importer of, of energy and user of, you know, thermal energy to power the, 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 the end of the, the company or the country rather. And they wanted to become more self-sufficient. In fact, they wanted to be an energy exporter and be green. And they have lots of resources, wind, solar, hydro. And in this area, it was primarily wind and solar. We had a project. There was no grid. What do you do with a project that has nowhere to send its power? <laughs> And the grid was making its way there. It hadn't arrived yet. And so the solution was, can you build a self-sustained, uh, you know, uh, sort of vertically integrated power plant uh, and computing facility off-grid? Uh, we were focused on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin mining because you don't need customers for that, right? We don't have to make the case that there's, there's compute load in, in, in Morocco sufficient to power this. And by the way, this power plant, we're talking about 900 megawatts. The, the land area is twice the size of Manhattan. Wow. So if you put that picture in your mind, that's huge area, huge energy potential for the company for the for the country. And so um, as we were designing this whole concept and a lot of the ideas that we have for our current facilities came from designing it to live in that environment, right? A very dry, 
uh, coastal area, high winds. And um, we, we did that. We designed it. And the grid did make its way there. And so we started to realize that as we prepared to um, you know, develop a sort of power for sale slash you know, data center concept, the data center's role shifted from the primary off-taker, you know, buyer of the power, to a embedded demand response solution. And we started thinking to ourselves, wow, we've just built a better battery, essentially, for, for, for wasted energy. How do we take this uh, elsewhere? And what we learned through the process of working on that project is that it is incredibly hard to build renewable energy projects, um, especially <laughs> outside the U.S. Um, and project finance is at the heart of making that work. And um, you know, financing a project that didn't have your sort of AAA credit offtaker. And you know, primarily a government buying the power. It was a commercial enterprise. Uh, what the renewable energy industry might call merchant is very hard to bring capital in for a project like that, especially when it's vertically integrated, because you have to take risk on both sides, right? And so, what we thought to ourselves, and this happened right in the middle of 2020, the world <laughs> is shut down. We can't travel to Morocco. And we have to find a way to make our business viable and grow over time and take all the learnings that we, 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 we found in Morocco to, to other markets. And we thought to ourselves, well, do we always have to build the, the power plant? What if we only built the computing part? Was there a problem to be solved elsewhere by doing that? And we took the six months that we couldn't go anywhere to basically take the team offline and work on this exercise, uh, this research exercise. And we spoke to grid operators, power plant owners, fund managers, uh, GE, which was we were working very closely with on the Morocco project. And the result of that research was that this is a huge problem. It's probably one of the biggest unspoken problems in the renewable energy space. And your solution, guys, that you've come up with is fantastic. I, 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 I did bringing flexible load to generation. Who would have thought of that? <laughs> and so you know, bringing it full circle, Raj, to the earlier part of, you know, the discussion here, which is, you know, how do you, you, you stay in an eternal optimist where we were in, we were in a tough situation there in 2020. And that pain led us to rethink our business. And it was the breakthrough uh, pivot that created Saluna Computing. And we've now built, you know, some of the largest uh, pipeline uh, in this construct in the space. And, we uh, we were combined with a public entity toward the end of last year, uh, giving us access to um, multiple sources of capital and preserving the project finance structure. Uh, and so, it's allowed us to build a whole new company that has you know tremendous growth potential by taking a novel solution to our own problem to the rest of the space. So you've brought your learnings onshore. Where are you building some projects right now in the U.S.? Well, um, in the U.S., we have projects. In, we have existing projects in the Pacific Northwest. We started out with a pilot uh, project there. We have uh, approaching 50 megawatts in the southeast. Uh, we have uh, uh, one of our uh, greenfield facilities uh, built there, and we're building a second of a series in Texas, uh, western part of the of the uh, state, um, where we are going after some of these big wind and solar projects that are, that are down there uh, experiencing lots of curtailment due to um, how much capital and infrastructure build out that has happened in that in that market. 
We have projects um, in our pipeline that are outside the U.S. and in Europe as well um, that are uh, maturing, and we're building some you know interesting relationships with uh, developers and infrastructure funds there. What I'm fascinated by, Raj, is in the last year we've had a significant increase in the um, amount of very large. I'm talking billion dollars, multiple billion dollars of uh, assets under management and, you know, huge portfolios of renewable energy assets, big IPPs uh, reaching out to us and seeing the light, if you will, um, on how these two, maybe three realms come together, right? Which is, um, you know, renewable energy, the data center space and a new new take on data centers, if you will, because our facilities aren't these big monolithic hyper-cooled, super redundant facilities with big diesel engines in the back. They're, they're lighter weight. They're, they're, they're tuned for the application. And then the third piece is the fact that global computing is just becoming more and more global. It's becoming more and more data-oriented. And you know, the cryptocurrency space is becoming more mature and a larger part of the, the global economy. That convergence is a very exciting place to be as a company. You know, you mentioned the size of your data centers. From the videos I saw, specifically the one in Kentucky, Project Sophie, I believe. Yes, yes. We name them after uh, women scientists. That's wonderful. Um, It looks like the size of a 40-foot container almost. Yes. So ours are bigger. Um, It was, so originally in our Morocco design, they were containers and we were basing all of our uh, architecture around that concept because you know we didn't want to have to do be doing a lot of construction and so forth because it was so far away we just wanted to be able to prefab them and send them over there but we found that containers have other uh, flaws they're not as flexible when you build something in a container um, you sort of start running into these constraints on electrical design that make it more tuned to a specific type of equipment uh, our business is built around this concept of phase one phase two phase one is focused on um, building out these facilities that that uh, are driven around uh, cryptocurrency mining, a business that is very big, uh, has a direct relationship to power consumption, uh, and you don't have to have you know business development people running around selling to customers like Netflix or something. Phase two is where we convert those buildings, um, the, the computing inside of them to more general purpose machines for different types of applications. And so we had to design our facilities such that they could make that flip really in a flip of a switch from phase one to phase two. So we wouldn't have to, you know, start from zero again. And so we build these um, mini buildings, if you will, they're they're physical buildings. We prefabricate them. So um, we cut down on the construction, you know, costs and so forth. And then we have this flexible electrical design and flexible interior space and all of that to help us prepare for where our business ultimately is going, which is a global diversified uh, set of computing that we're doing in those facilities. So uh, they look like containers, but they're not. So the phase two part is essentially the modular and the prefab and scalable part of it. You mentioned the phase two part about being the computing piece that's non-crypto. Yes. You don't have to sell, obviously, for the crypto and the global computing piece of it. But I'm assuming there's some selling going on for the other part of the compute. Absolutely. What yeah. What does that look like? It's going to look like my prior life, I think. It's going to be <laughs> an enterprise sell. Um, you're going to, we're going to be going to uh, ph- big pharmaceutical companies, uh, universities, uh, movie houses, 
startups that have you know lots of growth potential, lots of capital, and a big portion of the capital they're deploying is is to computing, right? Because most startups are AI focused, and um, that selling uh, requires us to bring on a sort of another you know muscle, if you will, right? The the uh, the expertise that is around bringing cloud computing to uh, companies that don't see the actual computing infrastructure as their core competency. It's more about the applications that run in them. And so uh, our strategy is to start to build uh, a series of facilities or parts of our facilities, converting them to that focused area, and then do what you, you, you do classically in every enterprise development is build uh, a small uh, initial pilot set of customers, um, make sure the requirements and understand those very carefully, and then replicate that, scale it, uh, harden it, and improve it over time. One of the things we're doing is we're not reinventing the cloud space. Uh, everyone knows how to do that. And so the way we will uh, give you access to our, our sites is through a interface that you're used to, right? We'll probably use Kubernetes or something like that to give you the experience that you're used to when engaging with the cloud platform. And we'll have a series of proprietary tools to make it very easy for you to deploy your data and application-focused activity. But because we're purposefully building these applications for uh, these batch processes, like as I talked about, batch applications, batchable, we will tune it for that purpose. And so, you know, what we envision is you come to our um, job scheduling site, if you will, you schedule a job or you, and you have this, this, this longer term relationship with us where you can schedule jobs. You place your processes, you, you pre-forward the data to a loca- location. And then our system, which surprise, surprise, will use some computing smarts to place your job in the right facility across our entire fleet on a global basis, such that it finishes on time in the price target that you expect. And we'll make certain you know, promises around what that experience should be, and that will be our driver. And just like in any other enterprise-focused solution, we'll start out small, we may have limited features, and then over time become very, very robust. And because we're purpose-built around these types of applications, we're really talking about a small footprint of an enterprise. So we're not going in and saying, we want to take your, you know, we want to move you from Amazon <laughs> wholesale to Saluna. We're going to say, hi, we're Saluna. Uh, if you have an ESG focus um, on your on your environment and sustainability is important to you, we'd like to offer you a platform and we want to take one to two percent of your compute load, that compute load that is not real time. And we'd like you to put it on the Saluna, uh, you know, global cloud, if you will, a green cloud. And uh, we actually like to call it Z cloud. We haven't put that brand out yet, but that's what we, how we talk about it in, in, inside zero carbon cloud, uh, Raj. And um, you will say, this is, you, first of all, you'll say, who the hell is, who, who's Saluna, <laughs> right? And you'll say, oh, us? Uh, we're just this green data center company that's built like hundreds of megawatts and you know gigawatts of this stuff all around the world. And here's how it works and how it's good for the planet. And it's the same experience you're going to have, but now you're you're able to you know deploy your applications and feel good about it. That's how so, I envision. That's how I envision the sale going, Raj. I probably so, get a lot of doors slammed in my face, but I'm used to it. <laughs> no, but you know, so my my mind's racing in several different directions. In previous lives, um, I was in the healthcare sector and mm-hmm. we had a partnership with Azure because in 2013, I think that was the only HIPAA compliant cloud. And yes. we were speaking to hospitals about going off-prem into the cloud with Azure. Yeah. Um, post that life, I actually had my own startup 
and working with many co-working centers here locally in the Dallas area, there was a time where AWS reps would come in and they would work with the co-working spaces and they would offer $5,000 credit worth of cloud time. And so right. my startup was actually on AWS from 2014 to 2017. The third part of what you mentioned specifically around the green compute. So I came across a company a couple of years ago that's doing research in cancer, I believe cancer research, and mm -hmm. mentioned the batchable computing and Essentially, research like that needs batchable computing. It doesn't need high-priority, real-time computing. Exactly. And so just from a you know, go-to-market uh, strategy, I was thinking about all the, like UT Southwestern here is a big research hospital. Yeah. And what would that conversation look like to offer your zero cloud to, like you said, a small subset of UT Southwestern? So that's all the different directions in my mind when, as you were speaking. Fantastic. I love it. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to kick some ideas around on, on go to market when we get there, because, um, that's exactly the way we've been thinking about it, right? Start small, very, very surgical, uh, applications that are fairly easy to, to move or go from inside to outside, if you will. And as long as it's something that is very compelling from a cost perspective, security perspective, um, and great for the planet, I think it's compelling for the humans that, are inside of these organizations. I agree. Now, you're working at the intersection of three of the biggest headlines right now. Let's say cloud computing, renewable energy, and crypto. And you're taking this message to current power producers who might have might be skeptical, let's say about maybe not the energy piece because that's what they're doing, but the crypto piece or the cloud piece. How do you convince them? What does that conversation look like? That's great. Um, so we, as I said, we we've had the opportunity to talk to lots of uh, some of the some of the largest power partners. We call them um, infrastructure funds, IPPs, etc. In the world, and uh, they do come to those conversations quite skeptical. You've definitely characterized that appropriately. And what we try to do is uh, we first try to help them understand that we are like them. Right? We are we're developers, so we understand the challenge of building a you know, large facility that has taken on uh, lots of capital and that capital comes from pension funds and they're very conservative and so forth. And you have to find a way to monetize that power. And so we also uh, impress upon them the fact that because we were like them, we understand the uh, ensuing challenges with deploying more capital to this space over time. And that at least gets us talking the same language in my in my past uh, experience as well. You know, speaking people's languages, even even just in general in the world. Like when you go to a foreign country, and <laughs> you know, France is notorious for it, right? They 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 really don't like when people don't at least try to speak French. You know, and <laughs> mm -hmm. even if you're 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 horrible, they're like, oh oh my god, please stop. Okay, go back to English. But <laughs> at least you tried. So. That's what we try to do. We try to speak their language. And then what we do is we essentially demonstrate to them two things. Number one, we have developed a novel structure, right? Because remember, we understand project finance. So we've developed a novel structure that uh, mitigates a lot of the risk of taking on a new you know, off-taker or, or buyer of their power that mitigates the things like credit risk and so forth, um, regardless of what we're doing inside the facility. And we understand the regulatory dynamics and we've built a, a framework that uh, fits within those, those regulatory frameworks. And then we understand how all the you know, revenue flows, their tax credits and recs work. And we, we've designed something that basically makes all of that flow nicely and benefits their equity and debt. 
holders. And so, you know, as you can see, we're 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 really thinking in their shoes. How would this like to? How would this have to look for me to do that? And then we we take them one step further using a three step process, by the way, where we you know introduce them and understand the issue. We do this curtailment assessment, which is the first step, and that's where we actually take their wind data, we analyze it, and we essentially show them what would happen if a facility was there when they were experiencing all of that curtailment. And then we can show them based on different sizes of that facility, what would happen from a revenue recovery perspective and a tax credit recovery perspective, you know, and uh, that starts to shed some very interesting light. And, and we show them the IRR and all that kind of stuff that happens there. Phase two is we develop a, pr- a proposal or solution construct for them. And then phase three, we build, uh, you know, we, we, we design it, we build it, and we operate it. So they don't have to understand anything about computing as well. So we've created basically a full, full service product, if you will. We call it curtailment assessment and curtailment mitigation solution using our, our platform. So that that's that's helping them to see that not only are we just sort of looking for, you know, to buy power from them, but we've thought through all the things that we need to think through from their lens to solve for the risks and the operational aspects and the financing aspects for a project like this. Uh, and then the last piece we do is what I've just done here is paint the roadmap for them, right? While they have concerns uh, about cryptocurrency and how young the industry is and the volatility of revenue due to mostly folks misunderstanding of the of the fact that it's not just the, the cryptocurrency price that drives the the success of a business like that but that this business is going much further than that beyond to all these other applications and uh, that business relationship is very interesting to them because as they think about their business they do have challenges with their current assets and they would love to see us solve those. But when they go to build new assets, I think we've tend to turn a switch on, right? There's like a switch that flips that says, huh, you know, there's a few projects that we actually couldn't do, right, Bob? Yeah. Because, you know, we could see the the increase in generation and potentially, you know, compression in price. And it would be nice to have this very novel solution as a hedge to that. Yeah, you're right. In fact, I'd want to design my entire project from day one to incorporate this as an embedded thing. Now, we always chuckle internally because we, you know, we try not to, to say this on the call, but sometimes I can't contain myself because I'm, I basically say, you've basically gone full circle now, right? We're back to the vertically integrated <laughs> mm-hmm. solution we started with in Morocco. And that's what we were trying to prove to the world that you can actually increase the amount of renewable energy in the world, in parts of the world, by the way, the African continent is a perfect poster child for that, right? Where there's lots of incredible resources, but very hard to monetize them or get them out of the ground, which would have huge effects on the economic growth of that of those countries. If you just integrate two things that are incredibly abundant today, computing and renewable energy. And uh, that's the that's the exciting thing that you know that I get out of these conversations, and 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 at this point we're having one to two of them a week with very large companies. It's crazy. Um, so it's it's uh, I hope that answers your question, Raj. I feel like that was a long a long tour, no, but it, the the point was to to show you that we've been very thoughtful about how we introduce this novel idea to an industry that thinks vertically, right? They they say well. I have excess energy. I, I just got to think of a battery. That's like the only. That's the only solution, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, there are other novel solutions that exist today that can solve for some of these challenges. You did answer my question. In fact, right before you started answering, I had taken the note to ask specifically around power obligations and curtail- curtailment. So you answered both. Fantastic. And, and and one other thing you said very subtly in there, you mentioned crypto, but I think you know it's it's more blockchain than crypto. Crypto is one use of blockchain of the yes, blockchain. Correct. And so people that understand what the blockchain is and the potential opportunities around blockchain, whether it's in finance or real estate, I think those are the individuals that will really see, if you will, the bigger picture. Indeed, indeed. And and those blockchain applications are going to be, you know, in that category we've been talking about, they they will shape the future of a lot of what we we know of today. And it'll be exciting that those processes are, you know, we're, we're sort of forming the backbone of, of what this uh, what this whole new grid infrastructure looks like in the next few years. I agree. Now, you've been in this space, you jumped right in a few years now. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself on this journey? Uh, <laughs> um, I would say it's my patience. I, I know, I think I know I've, I, I, I always know that I've been a patient person, I mean, hell, my, my, I, I was friends, you know, patiently waiting for, you know, the love of my life to, 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> convince her that she should date me and not just be my friend. And then ultimately, you know, we dated for six years and then we got married and, you know, now we have two kids. So that, that takes a lot of patience, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and careful planning. Uh, but the patience required to enter a new industry that you know absolutely nothing about um, have the humility to just wear that on your shoulder. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. Please help me. And use that to wait for the industry to mature to a point and the opportunity to mature to a point where it's ready to, you know, uh, generous, generously embrace you, embrace the new innovation and make it into something that basically is no longer exciting, just boring. Like, yeah, of course that, of course we build renewable energy centers with data centers in them. I don't, I don't understand your point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's going to take a long time to get to a point where, you know, I'm at conferences and people are not just talking about batteries and transmission as the only solution to the renewable energy penetration problem. They're thinking about other novel solutions like computing, and they're actually part of the lexicon now. Uh, I was at my first uh, this year in Austin, and I introduced the the room and the large, you know, I I... And super impressed by the fact that this industry is very big but very small. You know, everybody knows each other. And I was there, the newbie, uh, talking about computing. And you know, I felt like to some extent I, I blew people's mind. You know, people approached me and said I, the next day. So I gave my talk, and then they came to me the next day and they said, "You know, I've been thinking about this all night." <laughs> I says, "Wow," uh, because it just broke the it broke the you know the uh, the mold if you will that everybody sort of locked into that there's only a handful of solutions to this problem there are many solutions if you think more laterally and computing is one of those so but that takes patience to educate continuously repeat yourself um get in front of the right people build proof points uh build a brand uh, success stories attract you know challenging expensive capital and then ultimately uh welcome inexpensive, abundant capital, right? Um, so I've learned about the fact that I'm I'm more patient than I thought I was. <laughs> Have you always been this patient? No, I, I think I learned uh, to be more patient uh, when I became a dad. Um, one of my colleagues on my team, he's a younger gentleman, incredibly bright, 
uh, super talented, but he's 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 uh, he's hopelessly impatient. <laughs> and I'm always like, you know, you just give it some time. You know, he's like, I, I'll never slow down. You know, I says, well, and he just became a dad last year. I says, well, you're you're about to become a dad. You're gonna you're you 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 will learn patience. <laughs> give it time, grasshopper. <laughs> exactly. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I mean, you have several kids and, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you learn so much to just, uh, you know, not get ahead of yourself. It takes them time to grapple things and, you know, things to sink sink in. And, you know, you can't always control everything, right? And so you just have to wait sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of time. And so becoming better at uh, sitting in silence with all the beautiful chaos and just just being okay waiting right? And focusing on your breath, uh, you'll get there, you'll get there in the end. So deep breathing is one of my best friends. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a underutilized tool. I would say deep breaths. Um, I also take walks where I'm just walking and, 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 and focusing on my breath, even though there's like lots of noisy city, city stuff going on. (laughs) Uh, just the process of doing that, uh, builds that into a cadence where, you know, you can quickly draw on it when you when you need it when there are frustra- frustrating things happening. And in the energy space, you need it. You know, because <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't blame them, right? They have to. Okay, this is one of my key learnings. Is and I learned this in a different industry. I learned it in the insurance industry, right? And I'm sure you learned it when you were trying to sell the healthcare, right? They have built an industry. You know, these these, these are huge industries that have been built on the platform that is regulatory driven. There are all these rules that are really designed to protect and reduce risk over time. And so insurance, I learned was uh, when I would look at selling to customers, what I realized is not not about selling them on feature function. It's really selling them on why making this decision doesn't increase their risk. So I used to say, okay, when you go sell to insurance companies, what you got to understand is... um, they are risk managers, not risk takers. And so everything you're doing is about showing them how you will mitigate the risk associated with making a decision to go with your solution versus something that they see as zero risk, right? The same thing is true here in the energy space, right? So the energy industry is charged to take capital, right? And this capital is coming from pension funds. So people's livelihoods have to be put to work to generate returns over a long period of time, sustainably, smoothly, and perfectly, right? (laughs) And so risk mitigation is like the number one thing you learn to master in this industry, right? Where you make a choice, you, you, you invest in a project, and that project will generate returns for 25, sometimes, you know, 30 years, okay? And the capital doesn't come back. Like it just, you know what I mean? It doesn't come back too quickly is designed to sort of generate that smooth return. So anything we introduce the industry has to fit within that mold. And so we have to think of ourselves as long-term sustainable infrastructure that's being built to partner up with this this other infrastructure. And so we have to have capital that will eventually back companies like ours to do that. And so uh, that's, that's uh, that's the learning and that's why it requires uh, patience. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the pension funds, and that's one of the reasons that when I'm talking to people about renewable energy, I try to explain that to them why this industry can't turn on a dime because of the existing obligations that many of these 
fossil fuel companies and other companies that have been entrenched for a long time have to pension funds and other you know financial obligations. Exactly, you're absolutely right about that. And I didn't I didn't realize that until I you know maybe a couple of years in, into the into the industry, and I really under, understood the whole financial ecosystem that makes infrastructure that we take for granted possible. <laughs> like we you know we take for granted we plug you know our devices to charge them in the wall. There's a lot that has to happen for that to be possible, notwithstanding, you know, regulatory aspects, but the capital aspect is very complex and um, it goes really, really deep. Uh, and so people just can't move very quickly. You know, it's one of my things I've been thinking about recently is that I actually feel like somewhere along the lines between late high school, early college, I think a class on infrastructure how the roads got here, how the bridges got here, how the power you use gets to you. I think it should be mandatory learning. I think people would have more appreciation they and would. perhaps even more concern when we have the bills that have been held up recently and you know regarding what to spend on infrastructure and what not to. I think I think a class just an introduction class like a like a required intro to psychology class, an intro to infrastructure class I think should be mandatory. Yeah, I think that's brilliant, Raj. I I wholeheartedly uh support that idea. I, I would no. add another one. I think that we should, you know, we used to have the Peace Corps. We should have sort mm-hmm. of like a required civil service corps or something like that, where people, young people who are, you know, bright, go spend a year working on projects and helping to stand up green infrastructure to help, you know, get us there faster, you know, help to solve some of those problems. So they can really connect with how hard it is to just do that. Because some of the young folks just assume, why aren't we just greener? Like, why, just, like just do it, you know? Right. Well, it's not it's not that easy, you know, because mm-hmm. of all of these challenges we've been talking about. Right. So going out there and participating on the world, you know, um go go be part of the evil empire and understand <laughs> <laughs> all the challenges they have to deal with to to get to where we're we're all trying to go in, in that fast, fast moving Tesla. Now, you brought the insurance piece a couple of times. Mm-hmm. One of our one of our listeners on Twitter asked me to ask you. You've changed industries. Careers actually was a question. How were you able to change careers? What enabled you to do so? Um, I think it's my it's my propensity for uh, learning. I'm a I'm a lifelong learner. I um, I'm an engineer by training, but I think f- fundamentally speaking, my my brain is just and, and my passion is just learning new things. And so, what attracts me to these complicated industries. Um, and uh, businesses is how much learning opportunity there is to it. You know, people ask me to serve on their boards um, often or help them with their companies, and I'm usually attracted to the ones where, huh, that's some that's something interesting. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I can learn something new and exciting there. So it's the it's the learning passion that um, I, uh, I I I use to sort of allow me to. Uh, to to transition and have this sort of flexible chameleon like approach to different um, different opportunities, and I didn't realize it was my uh, quote unquote superpower until I suddenly I found myself in an industry that I would never have expected myself to be in. Right, I'm I'm a software guy, and I just assume I'm just going to keep doubling down on software. And I'm learning that um, you know more more of a lateral. Um, I have this actual philosophy I'll share here. You know, when I was growing up, my my mom and 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 my uh, stepfather um, and my, my dad they 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 really had a more jobs and skills focused 
approach to their professional careers, right? They they would you know go work for eight hours for forty hour for for uh, you know forty hours a week for forty years. It was called forty for forty, right? <laughs> Just about every industry it was like go get a good job and you know keep your job for a long time. That's not really people don't really go in for that anymore. And 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 truthfully, people can't really promise that anymore that you'll be in a role for that long. And so what I believe the professional career is really about is more. Rather than a one straight line on a wall, it's more like a mosaic. It's a series of different color tiles, different experiences, different learnings, um, different challenges that all come together to define you as an individual. And I believe the more versatile you are and have seen more different things, the more valuable you will be to uh, teams that that want to bring someone on to really help them deal with like the next big challenge. You know, taking it back to the earlier part of our conversation here. Right? How do you stay an optimist? Well, you guys see a lot of things, a lot of tough things, and if you go to a lot of different different places, you're going to run into a lot of new and interesting challenges you've never seen before. And it's the ones you've never seen before are the ones where you have the most learning, the most growth. You can apply tools that you didn't you didn't know you had, and you can actually be the the innovative perspective that gets the room to think about the problems differently. To my point earlier, when I went to the Renewable Energy Conference, they if I wasn't in the room, they would have talked to each other about the problems and the challenges and the limited set s- solution set of solutions <laughs> uh, all day and really never come out with anything that was breakthrough. Whereas just changing the conversation with an individual or team that is not uh, biased by their own experience, right? They can come up with innovation. And so my experience in insurance, that was true. Um, so far here, it's true. So that mosaic concept has been really helpful to me, and that's how I that's how I do it. Well, speaking of perspective, let's move into the future. It's yes, twenty thirty. Yes, Fast Company, Fortune, Wall Street Journal. Pick your publication. If they were to write a headline about Saluna Computing, what would you like it to read? Ah, um, that's a great question, and I would say that the headline would be: um, Is computing the future of renewable energy? Would be the headline. And the story would be about the fact that computing we take for granted, um, but there's a new form of computing, a new form of data center that could be the catalytic, if you will, um, or has proven to be the catalytic thing that has driven renewable energy to become the world's global superpower. I love that headline, John. I look forward to seeing it come to fruition. Last question, and you've given so much advice. If anyone's paying attention, listen to it. Patience, learning, mosaic, but a specific question for you, and this could be professional or personal, but if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, recommendations, what would it be? Uh, read a lot. I didn't become a really big reader, if you will, reading of books that I'm talking about. I used to read magazines. I'd you know, watch brainy shows, but reading books, and I'm talking about old books dusty, crusty, most of them are digitized these days. There's so much learning in reading about history, so much learning in reading about the failures of entrepreneurs that have come before me. Uh, there's so much learning about um, books that aren't have nothing to do with my profession, but are just books about interesting concepts like how does the brain work? What is intelligence, for example? There's one I read recently on intelligence. And one thing I've learned in doing that is that it really helps me to process my current world. When I'm reading about the past, it processes my current world a lot 
better. It, it gives me new perspectives that I didn't know were sort of hidden down deep in my subconscious. They kind of pop out. And I learn new frameworks. Um, I learned that failure is something that repeats itself. And um, incidentally, the reason I didn't read as much before was uh, I'm a slow reader. And so I, I, I'm one of those people who, as I read the words on the, on the, on the paper, I'm, I, I'm hearing myself say them in my head, right? So that slows your reading, your reading rate down. And about four years ago, uh, when I sold my last company, I was taking a break and I says, let me get, you know, my, my mission this summer is to sort of just read, you know, break away from stuff. And I, and, uh, I found that, uh, combining the visual read with the audio read where I can speed up the audio actually increased my reading speed and comprehension because, uh, I ran a company, a distributed company for many years. And uh, I had to listen to large volumes of information over conference calls all the time <laughs> and then make really important decisions. And so I realized that I built this really strong muscle of processing lots of information you know, via audio. Uh, and so I combined this visual audio thing. And now my, my, my read rate is, is, is like 10x. You know? like I can process reading at a much faster rate. And so I get through a lot of the books that I read and it helps me to create all sorts of insights. And as I get those insights, I write them down on that blog I talked about. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's probably one of the best things I've ever done in the last you know, several years of my life. So read more is the advice that I, give, I would give to myself, my younger self. <laughs> and so I give that advice to just about everybody. Read and don't read the, like, the, the books that came out like last year. Read the books that came out 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, that's where the real nuggets read about the stuff that doesn't change, not the stuff that's changing. So I'm going to cheat. I said last question, but I have to ask now, yeah. what was the book on the brain or intelligence and what was the best book you read last year? Uh, great question. Um, the book I'm reading is uh, called uh, On Intelligence, um, is written by the uh, founder of uh, Spring, the Spring hand, handheld device. And uh, he actually has a second book that just came out called uh, A Thousand Brains or something like that. And I think uh, Bill Gates just had him that on his list. I would start with the On Intelligence book. It's fascinating. It really basically tells you uh, that the cortex, the cortex part of the brain is the brain. Like it's, it's, it's the cortex is listening to my voice right now. <laughs> and he explains in a beautifully, you know, succinct and simple way that you know, intelligence is essentially the brain taking patterns and then, you know, turning them into memory. And then that memory essentially powers everything. So let me give an example. If you reach, if you look down and you see your pen or something, and you're going to write a note right now, your, your brain basically predicted all of the motor movements that it will need to make in order to pick up that pen and write something on the piece of paper. And it's a very fast pattern that just sort of fires in your cortex. And the very prediction is actually what creates the movement. It's not the other way around. That blew my mind. And so what that, what that says is that you can actually predict just about anything through any means. So if you hear a sound, uh, your brain can make a prediction about that. And by understanding how that brain works, we can build better uh, computing systems to replicate it and so forth. And then he, he, he shows you how, because of that, you don't have this, this, this ominous, uh, potential from AI that everyone 
is concerned about um, once you really understand how the how the brain works because he actually tells you that the the AI he shows you that the AI systems don't actually work the same way the brain does. It's, it's a fascinating book. I I, I highly recommend it. Um, that was one of my favorites last year. The the other favorite book um, that was surprising to me uh, was Green Lights. Um, Matthew McConaughey. And indeed, it was a great book because um, look, he's unlike very many people as a human, uh, but he just so happened to have put together and journaled for thirty plus years. He literally. You know, had this habit and, and and persisted with it for thirty plus years, and so he had a beautiful picture of the changes in his life and the moments in his life that sort of drove those changes. And it teaches you that you know sometimes life gives you red lights and sometimes they give you green lights, <laughs> and they both have a role. You know, they both have a role, and uh, I won't spoil it, but it's 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 a fascinating journey. Hilarious, you know he's he's really good. I would get the audio version, he, by the way, because he reads, he reads it, it. Right? Yeah, I would get the audio version because he reads it, and and you know he's he's just a fa- fantastic actor, right? So he's 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 doing the the, the you know the the uh, the voice of all the all the characters and people in his life, and he's he's going through these incredible changes in his life, and uh, it just is easy to mirror that onto your own, and when you look back as you're reading the book on your own life. You will find those red lights and green lights too, and you'll start to recognize them uh, better going forward. And that—that that was my takeaway from the book. It was just—it's just a fascinating, um, surprisingly insightful book. That—that uh, that was essentially just a you know someone's you know famous actor's memoir, right? But it, it was a—it's got a lot of tools in there, a lot, a lot of, a lot of really nugget advice. Well, John, I appreciate the recommendations. I really appreciate your time today and your success with Saluna Computing, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Raj. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.